welcome back to another episode of the Core Consults RX Podcast. Cole and I are coming at you with another accredited episode tonight, and we are going to be doing a little, kind of a different one, I guess. But uh, yeah. we've done some of these already this year as far as these type of, of episodes where we cover some new drugs that have been FDA approved recently. But tonight is an accredited episode, so it's going to be a little bit longer. Yeah. And we we had to whittle it down to a few of the, um, you know, bigger drug approvals, I guess you'd say. Um, and then we'll, we'll reference some of the smaller ones. This is based completely on our opinion. Yes. And we also had to, we filtered it based on uh, some of the indications. So like some of the new oncology meds, we kind of stayed away from. And uh, yeah, we consider them big, but I'm sure somebody working yeah, on the oncology room is like, going to be like, why didn't you mention this one? Yeah. yeah. Like so revolutionary. yeah. I should, yeah. So uh, this is completely our personal opinion you know, when we say, uh, the, some big approvals a lot of just outpatient type stuff yeah exactly so um, and we'll touch on some of the other ones in in reference episodes if we've covered it already previously and we usually do one uh new drug update that's accredited per year yeah and it's been about a year it's so been I about think a year th- th- this will be the one for 2023 well i'm glad yeah here we are i like it here we are i'm glad we justified it yep <laughs> just <laughs> just Putting some context around. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's good. So for those of you who are free CE members um, and have an unlimited membership to their website, after you get done listening to this episode, um, make sure you go over to freece.com, go to the Learn tab, and you'll see podcasts, and that'll have all of our accredited episodes um, available. So during this episode, at some point, we'll give you a password, and it's super secret, so don't tell anybody. And when you you get done, go to the website. It'll ask you for the password for this episode. Um, Go ahead and put that in. You'll have access to the post-activity tests, 10-question, multiple-choice, and then that's it. You get your one-hour continuing education credit. It's good for pharmacists and for nurses. And um, if you're not a member of FreeCE, I definitely want you to check them out. They have a lot of great content on their website that's uh, available for your learning needs. So big thanks to them for continuing to work with us. And uh, yeah, Cole, with, with that, anything new, man, before we jump into these these new drugs? Probably the biggest thing is that um, this this might be the last episode that uh, we record, or at least for Ever. a while, that we record here, where it relates with me being here. Yeah. I am, I am moving from Charleston. Yes. Big news. Yeah. I was yes. wondering. I didn't want to just say it up, but I figured we had to tell people. No, it's fine. No, I've, I've, I've heard you um, try to get me to say it on a few episodes before, and I just I just didn't. But uh, you just we could have just talked about it before. <laughs> you were just playing hard to get. Just playing hard to get. This, yeah, this I like to keep one. it natural. Yeah. We're moving, I'm moving to Athens, Georgia. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so yeah. we are going to definitely still keep the podcast rolling though, oh, sure. as best we can. And um, we're going to, we're working with some, uh, some technical um, logistic yeah. issues right now. We'll figure all that out and hopefully still be able to put out some good content. Yeah. The good or, thing is, or it'll 20- crash and burn and you guys will just find a new <laughs> podcast to listen to. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Uh, the good thing is, it's 2023. So, yeah. You know, people had to, people had to record virtually for years during COVID. So right. Well, I think we can manage. No, we never did. We always came in and did it. Yeah. When everybody else No was regard not. for our own safety. No. Did we get COVID? Yes. <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs> but listen, actually, I'm pretty sure we got it from doing this. We probably we did. definitely did. Because one of us had it the next day, the other. But like, listen, two days later. we did it for you guys. Yeah. So it's been real. <laughs> but yeah, so we, uh, we'll get that straightened out. So if the episodes have some guests and, and uh, are, you know, not quite the same release um, schedule we've had, it's uh, because Cole's, you know, in the middle of moving and doing a lot of big, big stuff. So Just for the short term. Yeah, we'll be back. But uh, yeah, so let's jump into this. And I guess we'll start off with our buddy that I think we alluded to in our last episode where we did um, weight loss medications, mm-hmm. but... Terzepatide, um, 
you all are familiar with it under the brand name Manjaro for diabetes, um, but it officially has been approved for weight loss. It's fast. It was, and and it is a so the technical indication is adults with obesity, which they define as a BMI of thirty uh, kilograms per meter square or greater, or those who are overweight with a BMI of twenty seven kilograms per meter square or greater but they also have a weight-related medical problem. Um, that can be hypertension, that can be dyslipidemia, um, this, uh, diabetes mellitus type 2, um, obstructive sleep apnea, cardiovascular disease, and also they, they even listed um, they need to lose weight and keep it off as part of like a weight-related medical problem. So I feel like that's kind of the repetitive, but what do I know? Um, the other thing is it needs to be used in addition to a reduced calorie diet and an increased uh, physical activity um, program of some kind. Now, that being said, obviously the calorie should take care of itself. The calorie intake should take care of itself because obviously trans appetite is going to decrease the, the you know, the, uh, decrease your appetite pretty significantly, pretty quickly for a lot of patients. And so, you know, the physical activity part is the, the important one to kind of make sure that patients are making some small adjustments and, and doing it safely so they don't injure themselves, but starting some exercises, they're doing it. Cause obviously the big thing we want to avoid is for patients to lose all this weight and then not make the lifestyle changes appropriate so that whenever they come off of the medication eventually that, uh, they don't go right back to their original baseline weight. So always encouraging the lifestyle stuff is an important. Right. And I know that what's been big in the news for the last year is all the people taking Ozempic and losing all the weight. Um, but listen to some of the results from, from, uh, how much weight loss. these Just listen. Just listen. But as we know, um, it's a dual glucose dependent insulin, insulinotropic polypeptide receptor, um, it has receptor activity on the GIP, which is that, and plus GLP-1. So it's GLP-1 plus GIP. Um, so the CIRMOUNT-1 trial uh, study with 2,500-ish adults with obesity or excessive weight and weight-related medical problems, not including diabetes. So that's important. Um, it was used adjunct to diet and exercise. Um, and the um, tercepatide group, or the ZepBound, is the brand name. Oh, yeah, I didn't even say the brand name. May not have. I don't think it flows off the tongue that ZepBound. Well. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the it. The P and the B beside each other do not do not come off the tongue well. So it's ZepBound. Ugh, I hate that. Um, that treatment group experienced um, substantial weight loss compared to placebo at 72 weeks. So that's about a year and a half. So at the highest dose, which is 15 milligrams, they lost an average of 48 pounds 48 pounds that's crazy the lowest dose five milligrams lost an average of 34 pounds compared to just seven pounds on placebo um, so interestingly the average starting weight was 231 pounds so as you're setting expectations for patients just be aware if your patient fits into these categories one in three patients um, taking trisepatide at the highest dose lost over 58 pounds which was 25 percent of their body weight compared to just 1.5 percent on placebo crazy yeah and, well and i feel like previously we used to get excited about five to ten percent yeah of you know the baseline and really five percent was more realistic i feel like whereas now it's like 25 percent of your baseline body weight yeah. is pretty crazy liraglutide was like eight pound weight loss or yeah. something like that. and we were excited about that yeah eight to ten pounds yeah it's and it, it, it's that extra gip you know part of the equation i think that's it's adding that synergistic weight loss appetite suppression and um you know slowing that gut motility down uh, there's so many different mechanisms at play plus you know we know that uh 
we, we, can't, we haven't had data as far as the cardiovascular data, but we do know that weight loss leads to cardiovascular risk reduction typically. And so it, won't surpri- it wouldn't surprise me if we end up getting a positive um, study for cardiovascular risk reduction with this one, kind of like we had with the um, semaglutide not too long ago with the weight loss trial. So definitely uh, I'm excited about terzepatide. I think that's probably one I've been the most excited about this whole year, even when it first got approved as Manjaro. Yeah. That the thing that I think is interesting about this is the price. Cause I fully anticipated this to be not that it's not expensive, but I expected it to be way more than they actually are listing it for. So they're, they're saying that it's going to be a list, um, have a list price of $1,059 and 87 cents which is around like 20% lower than the semaglutide 2.4 milligram injection for weight loss, the uh, Wegovi. And so it's still going to be available as the, the normal sizes, the 2.5, the 5, the 7.5, 10, 12.5, and 15. And um, for those patients who have insurance, Lily's doing a commercial savings card program, and um, they're going to have that in place to obviously help with the copay. And then... Um, they're lower. They're going to make it commercially, uh, or if you have a commercial insurance, they're going to make it um, to where the patient can pay as low as twenty five dollars. I haven't seen what the total out of pot or what the max out of uh, that the card will pay yet, but um, they even have a program for um, patients who do not have coverage for Zetbound. They can work something out, I guess, where you can pay it as they as low as five hundred fifty dollars. So I guess they cut the price in half. That's an inter- that is a very interesting option so it's people who have insurance but their insurance is not going to cover it mm-hmm. they can get basically 50 percent discount to pay 550 which I, I will not be surprised if you see people doing that i think it's probably mirroring a bridge program sometimes these new drugs will have a bridge program mm-hmm. because it's going to take a while for the drug to get on formulary so usually what they'll do is actually provide the medication at no cost which they might have a, a, a program like that for patients who are uninsured I, I didn't look into that but sometimes they'll provide it at no cost with the hope that once the patient's insurance covers it they can offload them from providing it for free and then have the you know insurance covered so that might be the idea here just to get more people on it but even offering that i have a feeling there's going to be some uh some production issues i well, think it's gonna be very popular well i think yeah it's gonna definitely take off and, and then how are they gonna are they going to force people who have diabetes then to only use Manjaro when this one's cheaper? So the insurance will only pay for this one and not the Manjaro? Like that seems like an issue that it's going to be weird. Very interesting. We've never had a, we've never had any kind of a weight loss product, at least that I'm aware of, that was cheaper than its non-weight loss indication counterpart. That's so interesting. Thanks. I thought so. Yeah. Just came right into my old head yeah, here. Yeah, like Saxenda. Yeah. More expensive. Yeah. I mean, so is Wagovi, I believe. Yeah. So it's, yeah, this one, and I feel like the Manjaro list place is like 14, 1500, maybe more. But um, it's definitely more expensive than this one. I don't know how to I guess, I mean, maybe that. they'll lower the price, which they can do. Yeah. Uh, of Manjaro. Um, and I guess it won't matter as much if the insurance is covering Manjaro. But for anybody who's having to pay a percent coinsurance, Right. Or, or the Part D plans that or have Part to pay D in the, the donut hole. Donut hole, deductibles. Anytime that they have to pay a portion that is affected by the cost of the drug, then yeah, you'd rather have you'd rather have uh, ZEP bound. But if you have diabetes, maybe you're not eligible for it. I don't know. It's weird. But they did have in the label True. That, yeah, that's actually that a good point. diabetes is a uh, is a potential like weight, you know, complication or a factor sure. they can have. So maybe they count. And maybe maybe sure. this is their way of like 
I'm sure a lot of individuals will fall into the weight categories who have diabetes. Yeah. Too, I'm just wondering how the insurance will kind of deal with that. Or if they'll force everyone to use yeah. this new one. And Monjaro yeah. will just not be there. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. But, I don't know. you know, the the big thing, I think, with Zizipatide, with because I do, but I do think it'll be very you know popular and probably overtake Ozempic fairly quickly, but um, or Wigovi. But... Uh, it's definitely important to, to remember the same counseling points we have when it's diabetes management that we're dealing with in this regard. So patients who have a history of pancreatitis, they have any kind of like um, gastroparesis, if they have a family history of medullary thyroid cancer or multiple endocrine neoplasia type 2, um, you know, the, the same warnings apply to Zepatide. And the I don't know how many of y'all have, have heard the, the issue with, or the warning, I should say, um, where... It, Female patients are advised um, if they're using oral, oral hormonal contraceptives, um, as w- and they're also taking terzepatide, that they should either switch to a non-oral contraceptive method or add a barrier method of contraception for four weeks after initiation and for four weeks after each dose escalation. I feel like I don't. I'm not sure how often that's actually happening, or at least being counseled on in, in actual practice. I doubt it's regular. But in, in maybe it was a situation where with a lot of the Manjaro for type 2 diabetes, you could kind of get away with it. But I feel like now you're going to have a lot of younger patients on it, and that might be something to uh, make sure that we discuss. Yeah, and, and the reason being, and the reason it's for a, a kind of a specific period of time is because after the first dose of terzepatide, the gastric emptying is most substantially delayed, but then the drug undergoes a tachyphylaxis after subsequent doses, and it's not as substantially delayed. So you can still have there's less of a um, concern about poor oral bioavailability of bioavailability of the oral hormonal contraceptive, though there's really not a whole lot of evidence to say that it is going to affect it negatively. But the recommendation is still yeah. there that there's an interaction. And I think with something like that, I feel like that's going to I mean, there's a lot of inter- interactions or risks, I should say, that I feel like we kind of just go briefly over. Yeah. But I feel like with this one, because if you didn't counsel on that and then someone were to get pregnant, they, there have been cases where you pharmacist gets sued for, or a physician and the pharmacist gets sued for, like, failure to consult. Yeah. You have to pay child support. It's no good. It's not ideal. No. So, yeah, I don't know. That'll be an interesting one. I wonder how much child support they have to pay. <laughs> I don't know. Like, do you think they have to pay as much as, like, a divorced parent has to pay? I hope not. I hope not. I don't know. I, I mean, it probably depends on that person's. I'm just doing the math. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. How much I'm concerned I should be. About. Yeah, it's a lot. <clears throat> um, it's probably concerned, but yeah. So we go ahead and counsel on that. That's that's the moral. That's the, that's easiest the takeaway. Way to take care of it. Yeah, counsel on it. But uh, but yeah, make sure. Um, and, and then the other thing, if a patient is started on this, and I, I've been warning patients about this more so now that so many people are using it for weight loss. Same with Wagovi or Ozempic. If they have been on it, even if they've been on it for a long period of time, if they stop it for more than, I mean, really more than like a week or two, um, I've I've seen cases where patients have been off of it for four weeks, five weeks, and then um, at one one patient was off it for three months, and then just restarted the max dose. And I've known two people in personally that have been in the hospital because of that in acute renal failure because they were so dehydrated from vomiting nonstop. So just make sure you warn patients about that. It seems intuitive, but, um, you know, a patient who's felt totally fine on the 15 milligrams, they don't maybe necessarily realize that they need to back it back down again. Yep. All right. Sorry. That's a lot on uh, the first drug. No, Zepbound. It's interesting. Zepbound. Um, so moving on, there's an interesting one. Oh, I meant to mention that Zepbound was approved at the beginning of November, so earlier in the month that this is released. 
Um, so another one that we were kind of confused by is Zetuvimet or Zetuvio. So Zetuvio is citagliptin, which you'd recognize as the generic for the branded Genuvia. And then Zetuvimet is the is uh, the generic of that is metformin plus citagliptin. So similar to Janumet, I believe it was. Um, these were just released at the beginning of November, end of October. So why did these are DPP four inhibitors? Citagliptin is a DPP four inhibitor that's the same as Janumet. Um, so why were these approved? Mike found some interesting information. Right? Yeah. So apparently, um, and this this was a must have been a while ago. So I, this we were out of the loop on this one, but apparently the. Um, FDA listed that there was some nitro, uh, nitrosamine uh, impurities that were detected in the diabetes drug citagliptin. And basically, they at this point, were saying it was above the acceptable intake limit of 37 nanograms per day. Um, and they found as high as 246.7 nanograms per day. Um, and... Basically, they, they, or I'm sorry, they, I said that wrong. They, they temporarily moved the limit from 37 up to 246 in order to avoid a shortage. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that that obviously would make some people concerned. And, um, you know, what the company ended up doing, I guess, is having um, a third party come in and verify that their product was free of those nitrosamine impurities. And that's how they were able to get the the drug approved, I guess. I'm so interested because did like, were they already producing this? Did they, were they already set up to manufacture? You know, it's it kind of, it's just strange. It is kind of weird. I, I'm sure there, there's gotta be more of a backstory yeah, to it, but um, yeah. So they just know that there's another branded version of Citagliptin out there. Yes. It's kind of weird. Yes. And uh, they're letting Genuvia stay on the market for now. Um, yeah, we verified with somebody that they dispensed it today, so yes. I guess it's still out there. Yes, but I mean, apparently they there was more of a concern that they were going to remove it, but it doesn't look like they're going to they're going to remove it. But um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it seems like those little I don't, I won't say little, but there's just there's been a number of medications that that it's not like anything's changed in it. It's not like it was I can't remember the word. Um, there was some poor manufacturing practice that were manufacturing mm-hmm. it incorrectly. It's just they've determined that they've this, just determined this drug that this everyone's been taking. The one that everyone's been taking that they originally approved, the, whatever this thing is in there is concerning for, for being a carcinogen. So yeah. or at least the levels are too high. Yeah. So that's great. Great. Um, Remember when Zantac, everyone, yeah. everyone, their brother was using that. There was everybody like, oops. No Zantac anywhere. Yeah. It's crazy. Everybody gets switched. Um, <laughs> So there's been a host of other interesting medications. A number of them are uh, biologic monoclonal antibodies. Um, so one of those is a drug that's branded as OMVO. Uh, the generic is Mirakizumab, as approved at the end of October um, for ulcerative colitis, specifically severe, moderate to severe ulcerative colitis. Um, it's an IL-23 inhibitor, so it's not... Um, I don't believe that's a first in class. I'm pretty sure there's other IL-23 inhibitors, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the first one, though, that selectively targets that P19 subunit. So, yes, yeah, selectively targets the P19 subunit of IL-23. And they had uh, so a few different studies that were looking at you know, the, the efficacy of this med. Um, so the, the studies were under the, the Lucent um, trials. So the, the first one was, it was a uh, 12-week induction study, and then there was this one 40-week maintenance study, um, so for a total of obviously 52 weeks. Um, and then patients in this, this Lucent you know, clinical study was, were all patients who had been previously treated with um, 
you know, various other approved F, uh, medications for ulcerative colitis, including biologics. And uh, the, the patient either felt like they had never worked, they couldn't tolerate them, or they stopped working. And uh, then they were started on this. So after 12 weeks, um, basically two-thirds, just about two-thirds of patients achieved clinical response, and nearly one-fourth achieved clinical remission compared to placebo, um, which was 43% and 15% for clinical response and clinical remission, respectively. And then um, patients who did achieve a clinical response at 12 weeks, um, the OMVO was showed a consistent efficacy across you know, all the different subgroups, including patients who had used biologics or um, a JAK inhibitor. And you know, they, they didn't see that one was necessarily more effective than the uh, one subgroup was more effective, uh, responded better than a different subgroup. And so um, it does seem like it's a, another effective option um, that you know, we kind of have in our back pockets if they've already, you know, especially if they've already failed like a TNF-alpha inhibitor or some of the uh, Stelera. Yeah, and a big part of UC and Crohn's is the um, the uh, steroid burden, the glucocorticoid burden. So a big part of the um, treatment and what they're looking at is to try to decrease the amount that patients have to take. So among those who achieved a clinical response at 12 weeks, half achieved steroid-free clinical remission at one year. Um, so that's 50% compared to 27% with um, placebo. Um, as a post-hoc analysis, almost all, um, really 99% of patients who achieved clinical remission at one year were, um, were steroid-free. So, yeah, significant reduction in the steroid burden as well. <coughs> is they had rapid improvement in a multitude of symptoms like rectal bleeding, stool frequency as early as three weeks. Um, and um, in the Lucent trials, the, they were the first and the only ones to use um, a specific rating scale called the urgency numeric rating scale, um, kind of assessing bowel urgency from being not bad to the worst possible bowel urgency, which mm -hmm. sounds extremely unpleasant. That, that does sound very unpleasant. But um, a significantly greater portion of, of patients obviously achieved remission of symptoms than placebo as well. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a, another, I think, I think it'll be a good option. Some side effect profile um, to at least be aware of some adverse effects that were seen in the trials. Um, the most common were higher frequency um, of respiratory infections, injection site reactions. Um, there was some uh, erythralgia that was reported, some headache. Um, but overall, uh, some of the infection risk and things to, to watch out for, obviously, we're used to that with the biologics, um, you know, being aware of also the potential for hepatotoxicity and, and live immunizations with anything that can affect your immune system is, is uh, not usually a good combination. So some of the more, um, you know, common things to con that we usually are concerned with when it comes to biologics. Yeah, we're not necessarily out of the woods with um, with this agent either, but definitely, uh, I think, one to add to our arsenal of medications. Yeah, and that's an injectable. Um, mm -hmm. Interestingly, there was also an oral option for UC that was approved as well, branded as Velsipity. Uh, the generic is etrasimod. Um, and interestingly, it's a selective sphingosine 1-phosphate receptor, which um, modulator, which a lot of times you would see um, in MS. I think there's some other sphingosine um, receptor modulators uh, uh, that are used in MMS, in MS. But this is used uh, for adults with moderate to severe ulcerative colitis. It binds with high affinity to um, receptors 1, 4, and 5. So there were a couple of important studies, the Elevate trials, um, 
they looked at um, safety and efficacy of velcipity two milligrams once a day um, on clinical remission and you see patients who had previously failed or couldn't take a biologic or a jack inhibitor um, clinical remission at 12 weeks occurred in 27 percent of patients taking the um, velcipity versus seven percent with placebo um, and at week 52, remission rates were 32% with the active treatment and still 7% with placebo, both statistically significant. I mean, I feel like that wasn't as, I know you can't compare studies like, like, like that, but I feel like I'm not as impressed by that, you know, I guess. Uh, as far as the response. Yeah. Yeah. It compared to like some of the biologics that we've seen. Um, but, you know, I think this is uh, interesting that we have another class you know, to choose from. There was another one of these that was approved, but I feel like I, I don't feel like I've ever seen really anybody on it. Um, yeah. But it'll be interesting to see because I yeah. feel like for the patients who have maybe tried a couple of different biologics, then now at least we have, a, you know, another class besides the jack inhibitors. Yeah, and it's at least an oral option. Yeah. A, a different oral option. It, so if you do have a patient though that is a candidate for this, um, you know, they would recommend getting a CBC uh, prior to, obviously starting or one that was is good from within the last six months. Um, also it can cause some issues with, with bradycardia and, and have some, uh, um, it can affect like the heart rhythm and some, to some extent. And so they do recommend getting an EKG prior to, um, starting the medication to assess for any kind of like preexisting conduction abnormalities. They also want baseline LFTs and, um, they also recommend a baseline ophthalmic exam that is getting at least a baseline evaluation of the fundus, including the macula. Um, and that they want that near the start of treatment. So some, Obviously, because of the, the the screening and things beforehand, you can kind of guess some of the adverse effects. But they've seen hypertension is one to be aware of. It's kind of a big deal. Um, they've also seen issues with macular edema, um, and so that it's S one P receptor modulators have been associated with an increased risk of macular edema. So that's why they're recommending the ophthalmic exam prior. Um, also malignancies. So they were reported at a higher rate, um, including skin malignancies um, in patients who were on uh, etrisomod. And basically they wanted a skin examination before or shortly after um, the start of treatment as well. And then periodically for all patients, particularly those that have a higher risk for skin cancer, obviously warning patients that they do notice any kind of like suspicious skin lesions. Um, if they're a patient that tends to go out in the sun a lot, you know, warning them about the limiting the, the exposure to, to sunlight and ultraviolet light, wearing protective clothing, sunscreen, all that good stuff. Um, but, you know, obviously not uh, a, a super clean drug as far as no side effects and things, but there's, there's, I feel like been, been some worse options out there for some of the biologics and whatnot. And at least we, so far other than the hypertension, we haven't seen any crazy cardiovascular risk associated with it or right. anything like that. Knock, for this, on, knock on wood. For this class of drug, the cardiovascular piece is generally um, important and it yeah. vary, the severity varies between them. I'm interested to see where this one is as far as how significant it is, but for, um, for some, they're completely contraindicated if you have like a ACV type cardiovascular history. For others, it has to have occurred within a certain period of time for it to be contraindicated. Um, it doesn't appear that this one's the most significant risk. Yeah. Yeah. I, it'll be definitely, I, that's, you gotta hate that when you see, when it's like you got a new drug class and then it's like, perfect, we're ready to go with this. We got this new option and then find out there's some terrible risk associated with not it. Yet. You're like, ah. It's not great. Um, but it doesn't mean it can't be used. It just means that uh, you got to be cautious. That's true. That does mean I that. I mean, jack inhibitors in general yeah. 
pretty concerning, but they're still used all over the place. Sure. A lot of box more. So is a tenolol, though. That's true. <laughs> concerning for concerning for less of, uh, for a different reason. Concerning because instead of causing bad things to happen, it just doesn't do anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So there's another interesting one that was uh, I remember thinking this was notable when it was approved. A drug for postpartum depression specifically. Um. It's Zerzuve is the brand name. Zeranolone is the generic name. Um. And yeah, it's indicated to treat patients with postpartum depression. It is a um, neuroactive steroid, is how they describe it. Um, it's a GABA-A receptor positive allosteric modulator. A PAM. It's a PAM. Um, and a neuroactive steroid is a NAS, so it's a NAS-PAM. It's <laughs> uh, good. Good, good, good. Uh, so it's given once a day. Specifically, it needs to be given with fat-containing food. So they specify 400 to 1,000 calories, with 25 to 50% of that being fat. He's gonna go to Waffle House every night. I know. Which I mean, it's probably I'm imagine postpartum that will that would be pretty solid. It's very specific instructions. So if so, if we're talking a thousand calories, we're talking we're talking two fifty to five hundred calories of fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of fat. Sounds like Waffle House. Taken in the evening. So um, <laughs> likely these people are gonna end up with GERD after a while because they're well, eating all this stuff for a bit. Well, yeah, and the good thing is it's a short period of time, obviously. Yes. yes. So it's postpartum depression. So it's just once a day for fourteen days. Yeah. Um, so it's just a two week. It's just a two week therapy. It does have renal dose adjustments? Um, uh, you can decrease to thirty milligrams a day if, if um, EGFR is less than sixty. Um, but they don't have data um, in severe renal failure, like less than fifteen. It does have a box warning. Um, it may decrease awareness and alertness. It's, it acts on GABA, so um, kind of a CNS depression sort of thing. Um, don't drive or operate heavy machinery or do other dangerous activities until at least 12 hours after taking each capsule during the 14 days of treatment. I don't know how many postpartum women, people, two weeks postpartum women are going to be driving machinery, operating heavy and dangerous machinery. You never know. Some people just want to get back to it. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Some, some people out there would definitely want to, uh, but it's comes in 20 milligrams, 25 milligrams and 30 milligrams. So for the normal dose, it would be two 20 milligram tablets that you'd be taking. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a, a random combination. I guess, I guess the 25 I'm, I'm assuming is more so for patients who are having side effects, like the CNS depressant side effects and need to go down in a lower yeah, dose. Probably so. But, um, basically the, to give you an example of the efficacy, um, one of the studies that looked at, uh, the 50 milligram dose for treating postpartum depression, um, the study took 50 milligrams for two weeks and experienced statistically significant reduction in depressive symptoms by day 15. Um, they were using the, the HAMD 17 rating scale for depression and they showed that the HAMD score was reduced by uh, 15.6 points compared to placebo, which was decreased by 11.6. I thought that was kind of Interesting. It's only a difference of four, which ended up, I guess, being significant. But that didn't. It's hard with these rating scales because, yeah. you know, it's. I don't know. But but then patients reported that they had improved, like an average improvement within three days that lasted up to as long as forty two days. So it's kind of like you know I, I don't know how to interpret that, and, and I'm going to be I curious mean, to see. It's a tough disease. It's a tough condition, and there's not a whole lot, you know. To help with it, and so it, and it I'm, does, I'm okay with any benefit. Oh yeah, for sure. And and I think it is something that you can add in addition to 
other third normal you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah or SSRIs and things that they may be already on so you can't add this to it um, side effect wise though you know Cole already mentioned you know the the way that it can affect you know your cognitive function and, and cause severe drowsiness and whatnot but it can also um, increase the risk of certain infections UTIs were seen at a higher rate um, patients taking this um, also like you know the common cold and, and also more uh, likely to cause diarrhea as well. So some side effects, but again, it's a short-term use med and uh, definitely you know, a, a better option than at least we've had historically. So yeah. it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, before we go any further, let's definitely give the, the password. And um, just because you know how I like to keep you guys in the loop, we didn't discuss this afterwards. So on the fly, we're oh, going nice. yeah. to call this episode, the password, uh, we'll just call it uh, new drug. Uh, all capital letters. Perfect. Um, drug, not singular. We'll just say that. Yeah, new drug. New drug. I approve. Now I want to change it to, to plural, but I don't want to cause confusion. <laughs> so I'm just going to say new drug. Believe it or not, we do normally talk about that beforehand, even though they seem like completely on the fly uh, passwords. We usually talk and agree on one. <laughs> it's like the only thing we do to prep is we talk yeah. and agree on it. Uh, People are like, well, that's obvious. I know. No, but the, uh, yeah, I, I feel like that ends up taking like 10 minutes of our. <laughs> <laughs> a meeting time before we start recording every New, time we, and that's why we don't actually prep anything else is because it takes so long to come up with passwords yeah because we come up with because we stuff. have no creep why don't we use chat gpt to come up with a password that that's true fantastic we should we need to we need to leverage ai when we can um so i've got another interesting one i mentioned developing gerd with um with the postpartum depression medication. So I can't remember if we've talked about this one or not, but it's relatively new, so I don't think we have. Um, approved November 1st, and it is um, Vokesna is the brand name. Um, bon- Bonoprazan uh, is, is what it is. That was the one that was in combo with amoxicillin. It's the new uh, H. pylori yes. um, regimen that yes. doesn't have that PPI in I it. I knew we talked about it before. You, um, you did. Yeah, so is this? Is I guess that was just in combo. And yeah, because it was for the, I guess, the, yeah, it was for treating the H. pylori, so just instead yes. of the PPI, you gave this. So it was instead of the PPI. So now I guess they have approved it by itself, and it has this kind of unique mechanism, which we went on about, um, I remember, and that's why I was like, have we talked about this? Um, so it's a potassium competitive acid blocker, uh, but they're using it specifically for the treatment of erosive esophagitis. So it's, it's being used you know, kind of like a, um, a PPI. Um, for healing um, all grades of erosive esophagitis and relief of heartburn associated with it um, to maintain healing of all grades of erosive esophagitis. And then, like Mike mentioned, yeah, in combination with amoxicillin and chlorithromycin for the treatment of H. pylori. Um, uh, yeah, so I won't go too in-depth since we did touch on it in a previous <coughs> episode, I'm realizing, but... Um, <laughs> You're realizing just now. Yeah, I'm realizing now. But, Wait, Cole yeah. was actually pleasantly surprised at how many new drugs we actually did I'm like, cover. I'm like, Mike, look at all these cool drugs to talk about. Mike's like, yeah, we talked about that one. We talked about that one. We talked about I'm like, I don't remember any of this. Which is weird because I'm usually the one that can't remember which <laughs> topics we've had. It's only because I go back and look in the episodes. That's the only reason I know anything. But, uh, um, so your secret's out. Yes, that's my secret. But, uh, yeah, so... Um, Definitely an interesting one, but uh, I, I think it, it's one we've we've seen out for a while. Yeah, CR or at least in combo. So CR, um, our uh, H polar episode for more information. Yeah, that wasn't too that wasn't too long ago. I feel like the H polar episode. Within six months, I'm sure. Um, and then do you, I don't have the brand name in front of me, but the uh, SGLT two and one uh, inhibitor that was approved for 
for heart failure. The, yeah. Uh, Sodic Leflozin. Um, I, I'll talk about uh, that one briefly. If you cool, if you look up the brand names, I can't remember. But uh, the, for example, the soloist um, WHF trial uh, was looking at Sotoglifluzin. I, I cannot for whatever reason pronounce that that SGLT one and two inhibitor. But uh, they were looking at this versus placebo, and were and were assessing the outcome of of uh, cardiovascular events, hospitalizations due to heart failure, hospitalization, urgent care visits, and um, the primary outcome was statistically significant. Um, however, it seems to be driven mostly by heart failure, vi- urgent care visits and heart failure hospitalizations. Uh, the, the actual cardiovascular death, when you look at that as a secondary outcome by itself, um, was not st- statistically significant. So it's approved now for heart failure. However, it is one that uh, is... In my opinion, not, I'm not as ex, I'm not as ecstatic about the data as I was with uh, you know it's the Jardians and the Forziga data mm-hmm. in heart failure. So I don't know. What did you did you have any thoughts about this one in particular? Yeah, I mean, uh, did we touch on this one? Yeah, yeah we did. I, I, feel, I'm just, I was kind of surprised that they. I mean, not really. I, mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I was a little a little bit that they approved it as yeah. an add on. No, it's not. It's not all fantastic. I mean, I don't think it's going <laughs> to replace them, uh, especially since it might be. Not on formulaires, a little more expensive, but is it? Because I, I was actually thinking, I heard somebody say it was going to be more affordable, but maybe I'm making it, it might up. be cheaper. That should that does sound familiar because I, I now that you mentioned, I, I do feel like I remember thinking that would be the only reason because it's a little more cost. I, I, I heard one uh, one physician that I'm I can't remember if he was involved in the you know as one of the investigators or what, but I just remember him talking about uh, in an article I was reading saying that you know this one will be the the one that physicians you know kind of correlate with heart failure and the other ones will be correlated with diabetes and huh. i'm like yeah but why i don't know what yeah it doesn't seem like that's a... why i feel like he's probably an investigator on the study yeah. but uh yeah it's one that I'm, I'm curious to see how it turns out as far as you know the the buy-in from clinicians right right in pefa in pefa that yes was sorry name. i did look it up okay. i had it i was just waiting for a pause oh sorry about that but it's okay in pefa um a couple, so there's a number of biosimilars that have come out, um, and they're important because they can bring down cost, right? So we have more options. They can bring down cost. They are, they're effectively the generic version of a biologic medication, um, and they just have to be called a biosimilar for confusing reasons, but basically because it's derived from, um, like, you know, a biologic uh, so there's a couple that have been um, that have come out. So one is Weslana um, for plaque psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. So it's an IL-12 and 23 antagonist, um, and it's a biosimilar for Stellara. Uh, so that's an interesting one because Stellara is a widely used biologic. Uh, another is um, Zimfentra for Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, and it's a TNF blocker. Um, and it's another uh, another biologic um, that has come out as well, another TNF alpha. Um, it's biosimilar. There's there's even one for natalizumab that came out, but it's biosimilar to, to Sabre. Yeah. Um, which for I I don't know how often it's used in multiple sclerosis. It's got that um, that REMS program and stuff associated with it. Uh, but basically, it's one that I, in Crohn's disease they've kind of gotten away from using um, because of the uh, the risk of you know patients having uh, they have the JC virus I believe it was um, 
they, then they can have a, a reaction to it. And so because of the box warning, the REMS program and everything, it's gotten not as widely used, but now they have a biosimilar. So yes. maybe for patients who are on it, as long as, uh, you, you know, it's it, you're wanting to stay on it, now you have a cheaper alternative potentially. So I guess there's enough demand for it that needed to be approved. Yeah. And I might not have said it, but the one I mentioned, Zemfintra, is a um, biosimilar for Remicade, which there are others as well. But that's what it's for. Um, which which one was that? Was the uh, what was the infliximab um, biosimilar called? Um, Zemfintra. That's the one you did. So yeah. did you notice that one was the sub Q? Yes, sub Q. Because that was the. Because I don't. I, I, sorry, that, yes. I missed that the first time. No, yeah, and actually, now that you mentioned that, sorry, maybe not biosimilar, <laughs> but different. Um, Dosage route of because usually route of administration. So what I'm really curious to see now, and I, because historically it's been IV, you know, infused, and, and it's something that's been, I think, widely accepted as kind of like one of the more effective TNF alpha inhibitors. But I'm wondering if the route of administration is going to affect it at all, or if the autoantibody production you can get with infliximab um, is going to be more, more or less of a concern with the sub Q administration. If that makes a difference. The, I don't know, those are probably easy answers to or questions to get answered, but interestingly, to make it a little confusing, um, <laughs> it is the subcutaneous version of Inflectra, and Inflectra was the first biosimilar for Remicade. So it's like three tiers down the line for three Remicade, tiers. but that's basically so. It's a new version of a biosimilar. It's a new. It's a new route of administration of a biosimilar for Remicade. Huh. Very yes. cool. Yes. But yeah, I think that'll be good. I, I think uh, that's a, a widely used TNF alpha inhibitor, but having a sub Q and you know, formulation always makes things better. Yes. Um, I want to say we talked about this one too. Um, hilarious that I can't remember these things, but um, Exua uh, is the brand name for um, Jeperone. Yeah, uh, and it's for a new, a, <laughs> we did an episode, and it's like two two episodes ago. How do you not remember this? So I'm just gonna we're doing a free C episode of and, new and, drugs. So I'm gonna mention it again because I literally you, can't remember no, anything. No, no, it's great because actually the people who only listen to our episodes are accredited. They may not have heard. They might not. Have heard so that's one, why you're doing it. Accredited. That's yes, why you're doing. That is why, and also because I can't remember anything that we do. Cole has officially lost all of his short term memory, which is not ideal for a podcast. I mentioned host, that or I'm a pharmacist. I mentioned that I'm moving. The, the amount of craziness that happens when you're moving, especially to a different city and getting a new job is insane yeah and, yeah and uh and we're also having another baby fan have said that on the episode as well but yeah, yeah. Um, just my, just so much stuff is happening my mind is everywhere so for, yeah i can't remember that we did this one already anyways um it's an aza pyrone uh, antidepressant for major depressive disorder um uh, it's an extended release tablet um that came out it's once daily take it with food at the same time each day it does have a box warning like other um other antidepressants for risk of suicidal thinking and behavior in pediatric and young adults patients. Um, it's not approved for pediatric patients. Um, does have concerns around QT prolongation, serotonin <coughs> syndrome, activation of mania, and hypomania. But the general um, side effects are, are similar to other antidepressants, um, nausea, insomnia, abdominal pain, dyspepsia. Yeah. And, and for those of you who remember, it's a uh, it, it's a five HT one A receptor agonist or partial agonist rather. I'm so sorry it, to remember us talking about this now. Yeah, I remember I went on a tangent for sure five minutes on <laughs> serotonin receptors. So you sure did. The thought is that this one will kind of cause that that uh, that uh, 
effective the SSRI, but at a much quicker onset of, of action, basically. So instead of waiting like six weeks, you're getting um, some of the effects in a week or two, and, and it's just a quicker um, relief of symptoms. doesn't mean it's taking the place of SSRIs or anything like that. And the data historically has not been great for this drug. It's something that took quite a long time to get actually FDA approved. So, you know, it's one of those things that um, I'm glad that there's another drug out there. I, I'd, it'd be interesting to see how it's it stacks up in the market to SSRIs and whatnot. I think yeah. it might be a, a good option if patients had multiple trials with SSRIs, SNRIs, things like that, but are having, you know, side effects, sexual dysfunction, things like that. And th- that would be a much less of a concern with the chiparoon. Uh, right. <coughs> I think it's worth mentioning, because I don't know that we've talked about it before. The, um, you're, uh, you're two for two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm very sure we haven't mentioned this. Okay, one. good. The over-the-counter version of naloxone. Yeah, I don't think we did. We haven't, right? Okay. I, I'm, yeah. So this was back in July. So this one, but you wouldn't know. So I would just no. I just yeah, say you could just say that. You'd have no idea. Um, but it's branded as Revive, uh, and it's the over-the-counter version of the um, naloxone nasal spray. And have you seen this mm. out there? Yeah, yeah. I saw the Target. Okay, I, I never looked for it, so I don't even know if it's around. I, I think I can't remember. To be honest with you, I cannot remember. If it was the, if that particular, it may be the only brand name that's out there. I just remember seeing Naloxone and it was over the counter. So I didn't yeah. look at the brand name. But it's I'm there. assuming it's that one. It yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I think that's a very good idea. Yeah. Because I feel like even though it was widely available, just walk up to a pharmacy counter, you're still going to have the people who, for, you know, stigma reasons and, and worrying about people's, you know, opinion of them right. or whatever. Having to be hesi- yeah, and has been very hesitant to go up to the pharmacy or being and le- at least being it. less aware that you could even do that. Yeah. Versus, oh, yeah. you know, I even if your did. doctor told you you could versus just seeing it over the counter. Yeah, they did up. a weird uh, job of advertising for that. Yeah. So they just kept it a secret. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to allow everybody to have it, but we're not going to tell them. Yeah. You can't tell They you can have it without a prescription, but they won't know that. They will not know that. That way we feel better about it. Right. So, that's I'm really glad about that one, but here's here's one that I'm uh, we'll put in the the you know why bother category, but uh, combo Gesic four. Have you seen this one? Mm-mm. Oh, get ready for it. It's acetaminophen and ibuprofen. Oh no, I did see that. Inje- but is it IV? In, or there's an injection, but now there's a there's a version of it. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but there's like an over the counter version of that as well that some one of my patients was asking me about. <laughs> she's like, yeah, it makes me, cause she's got kidney disease and blood, uncontrolled blood pressure and cardiovascular disease at the wazoo. She's like, yeah, I found this awesome new pain medication. And she's like, you can take like three of them and it's half the dose of ibuprofen. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't think that's correct. <laughs> so yeah. Um, apparently there's the, uh, that floating around out there. So make sure, uh, just being aware because patients may not realize that it's still an NSAID and um, that patient I was just referring to had just gotten done telling me she can't take NSAIDs because of her kidneys. So right. um, I, I, this is not a, uh, you know, f- a, something that can just fix the, right. that problem. Um, you, and you talked about um, the Zephosa, didn't you? The Tenopidor at the beginning of this? Uh, no, I don't think so. I had that one saved as a potential, to, uh, but never mind. Okay. I don't think I you think did. I did. Did you have another one you were about to go? Yeah. Um, so there's uh, been a couple of notable vaccines this year that have come out, right? So um, we're all probably pretty familiar with them at this point. But the RSV vaccine came out um, this year. Lots of people have been getting it. Um, also, the anthrax and anthrax vaccine came out back in July um, for post-exposure prophylaxis uh, following suspected or confirmed 
exposure to bacillus anthracis. Um, only adults, 18 to 65. Um, yeah, anthrax vaccine. Pretty interesting. Interestingly, I knew people in both trials, like who were involved in clinical trials for both of those. Really? Anthrax and for RSV, yeah. Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. So I was kids for RSV and then somebody else for anthrax. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. Yeah. I had... Uh, it's probably because we you know, live, live in a town with a large... Um, Research hospital. Oh, yeah, that probably helps. But, um, yeah, so they, uh, I I had my first preceptor ever of, like, fourth year in pharmacy school. He's a great guy, but one of the first things he told me, he was, you know, older pharmacist, he told me how he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm uh, enrolled in this clinical trial for, I can't remember what vaccine it was. It was like the cholera vaccine Mm -hmm. or something they were working on. And um, I'm like, oh, cool. Is that How'd you get involved with that? Or he's like, oh, I signed up for every vaccine uh, trial. It paid you like whatever month. And this guy would just go get these mystery <laughs> drugs. And I was like, oh, that's one way to make, I guess, a side hustle. Oh, my God. I was like, I'd rather do something that I know is not going to cause. I know. How about effects? things that might not harm you significantly? I don't think I mentioned, well, <laughs> put back, they're back, the vaccines are safe, right? Um, yeah. I don't think I mentioned the, the names of them, but the anthrax vaccine is branded as a Cyphendus, and then the RSV vaccine is branded as... Um, as Bay Fortis. And, uh, yeah. Uh, did you, did you look at the RSV vaccine data at all? Uh, not a whole lot. No, I, I feel like it wasn't, you know, it, it, it was good. I mean, it was fine, but it wasn't like super, super impressive or anything. Right. But yeah, I, I've had a few people asking about it. My, my kind of thought process is if, if they're only, cause I've had a few patients like, I only want to get one vaccine. So what am I going to get this fall? I'm kind of like, <laughs> I feel like probably flu is, the better i don't but i don't know what the answer is to that so how about i mean you get more than one yeah You're well right. that's what i told him and she's like no that's I, not good i did anymore. get flu and covid and uh i did not feel good the next day yeah like bad like i felt like i had the flu for a day <laughs> oh dude that's Sorry. why that's why i never get it because right. it just gives you the flu instantly i know but it felt pretty bad yeah Chess and stuff no that sucks yeah um there was actually another live vaccine that was uh approved i think november 9th did you see that no. Chikungunya oh, yeah. Gunya vaccine. Yeah, I, I saw that, didn't know the, what the word was, and went right by. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm not familiar with that either, but for those of you who are interested in that, make sure you check it out. Um, yeah, just since we're <laughs> covering all the new stuff. Yeah. The, uh, sorry, go ahead. Do you have another one? One that's, you know, probably going to be important for me and not too much longer is, <laughs> uh, is a medication for alopecia. Um, Lit Fulo is the brand name. I'm not sure you would fall into the category um, for that. But someday. Maybe. My dad is completely bald. Is, it for, is it for male pattern? Um, I think no, it's, so it's different. It's, well, it's alopecia. Yeah. Areata, which, which, you know, many males, which, quote, which my, people might describe as quote-unquote male pattern, they yeah, might yeah. have alopecia areata, but it, it might also not be. Um, but it's Lit Fulo. Um, the generic name is Ritclesinib, uh, and it's a covalent kinase inhibitor for the treatment of severe alopecia areata in adults and adolescents 12 years and older. So, yes, it's probably not intended for the regular man with alopecia areata, but I don't see why it couldn't be used. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it has high selectivity for JAK3, interestingly, and is thought to work by blocking the signaling of cytokines and cytolytic activity of T-cells, um, which plays a part in alopecia. It's a once-daily oral <coughs> capsule. Um, it does have a box warning for increased risk of serious infections, higher rate of all-cause mortality, malignancies, higher rates of major cardiovascular events, and thrombosis. Um, kind of like, you know, the JAK inhibitors are, are known for. So mm-hmm. 
So that's for, why you probably wouldn't want to take for it. For regular, yeah, regular. So, like, so what Cole means is he retracts his previous right, statement. Right, so for a guy you just losing his hair, just, it might just not get be Propecia and the call best it, or thing, shave your head. Best to do. But, but for somebody, you know, for there's notable, uh, you know, celebrities and things where they basically have alopecia all over their body, so they have zero hair. Yeah. Um, if that was a, a significant concern, then it seems like this could be, be an option. That they could try. Um, it does have adverse effects like diarrhea, acne, uh, rash, um, uh, CBC issues like decreased sweat, blood cell count, stomatitis in the mouth, stuff like that. So definitely not benign in any way. Hair loss. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be Hair funny. Loss. Um, the, uh, another one that came out in the dermatology space is, uh, if, if you remember back to those cool commercials where they would talk about Epiduo and they were like, it's had a Dapolene and the benzyl peroxide combo. And you're, you're sitting there thinking, you're like, what? What would make this that much better? And you're like, if clindamycin was thrown into the mix, that's probably what you were thinking. So now that dream is a reality with Cabtrio. Cabtrio is uh, the new topical gel. It's adapalene, benzoyl peroxide, clindamycin phosphate, all rolled into one for patients 12 years of age and older. What will they add in combination to that next? I know. Salicylic acid. We're going to throw in some... Just put it all in there. Stap zone. Just make their face completely red so you can't see the acne. Yeah. That's, <laughs> their face is so dry and irritated. That's a good That's a good thought. We'll put um, that in our back pocket. An oral suspension version of sildenafil came out this year, branded as Lecrev uh, for pulmonary arterial hypertension, um, which can um, uh, be an interesting uh, option for people with issues with the uh, pill version. Um, and, of course, we know that it's, it's used for... Um, ED as well, but it's something that would be given orally three times a day for pulmonary hypertension. And uh, the other one I'll mention just briefly, um, there was a medication that I think, when did we talk about? We talked about IBS not too long ago, right? I feel like we did. Yeah, I think so. Um, but there was a medication on that, and I feel like we talked about this part of it, because I, I actually used it not too long ago for the first time in a patient at Clinton Clinic, and oh, it yeah? worked really, really well. Um, but it was under the brand name um, Isbrella is is the uh, tenepinor. It's uh, for IBS with for constipation and patients mm-hmm. who have failed like Linzess and Trulance. Um, and it's a sodium hydrogen exchanger three inhibitor, but is now been approved to treat patients with hyperphosphatemia um, for patients who are um, have chronic kidney disease that are on dialysis. And so that it can be add-on therapy for a patient who has had an inadequate response to traditional phosphate binders um, or who are not able to tolerate you know, any dose of a, of a phosphate binder. And so obviously with hyperphosphatemia being a big concern in patients with CKD, uh, it's, it's, this is another option. So um, didn't think he need, didn't even think about that when we were talking about it for IBS, but um, I guess... Uh, they they found stumbled upon a new uh, use for this. It is quite expensive for um, IBS anyway. The Ibsarella is at the, I want to say it's like two grand a month, but it uh, will be interesting to see how how expensive this one is. I feel like this is going to be kind of niche, but a good option. Yeah. Um, the last one I'll mention is one that we have, I know that we've talked about before, and we did do a full episode on it that wasn't um, accredited, so I'll just mention it here briefly, but go back and listen if you want um, more details. But back in June, there was a low-dose colchicine that was approved, branded as Lodoco, um, uh, which was um, like low-dose colchicine, I think it was 0.5 milligrams. Yeah. Is that right? 0.5 milligrams. Um, 
indicated to reduce the risk of um, heart attack, stroke, coronary revascularization, and cardiovascular death in adult patients with established ASCVD. Um, it was the first FDA-approved drug to target residual inflammation as an underlying cause of ASCVD. Um, don't fully understand the mechanism. They think it has to do with um, suppressing um, inflammatory mediators like um, IL-1 beta, IL-18, IL-6. Um, it's a once-a-day um, tablet. And we did, I think, discover that in other countries there is a, a 0.5 like extended release tablet or something like that. I think it was Australia. Um, but, of course, there's Colchris here for gout. And uh, very interesting. Uh, Have you seen anybody on, on that yet? Haven't, but Mm-mm. not really in the space much. You're not in, this, I'm not not in this, that space. I'm not in that space. Not I spend, yeah, I spend so much time in other spaces. <laughs> Different spaces. Different spaces. Yeah. Anything else you want to make sure we go over? Or that's, I mean, there's definitely other drugs that have been approved, but I feel yeah. like that's a uh, whole host of cancer medications. Yes. Uh, medication for myasthenia gravis, medication for Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. So a lot of very cool things that have popped up. Um, we just wanted to kind of touch on the things that were most relevant to kind of see states that we talk about a lot and things yeah. like that. And, and for those of you who are like looking for ways to keep up with new drugs as they come out, um, you know, Medscape has some good summaries and uh, they'll usually have either links to the, the studies or their summaries of the studies. Um, there's several other um, platforms out there. Uh, drugs.com has a, and it's something that will email you when you get when it, new drugs are approved. There's a lot of different options. So um, make sure you check them out. A lot of free options too, which is great. Um, but it's a good way of keeping up with with stuff as it comes out and uh, not having to cram for it uh, at the end of the year or whenever you normally study. Right. But, uh, but yeah, so um, check that out. And then thank you again, as always, to uh, freece.com for continuing to partner with us. And remember, if you are a FreeCE Unlimited member, make sure that you take the password that you heard in this episode and go to freece.com's website, go to learn, click on this episode and put in that password, pass that test, get your one hour credit to prove for pharmacists and nurses. And if you're not a member, check them out. FreeC.com. Very, very good folks to work with. They're fantastic uh, for sticking with us this long. And we were uh, very excited that, you know, we even got the opportunity and now we're 50 plus episodes deep. So big thanks to them. Um, also, if you want more lecture style uh, material, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash coreconsultrx. There's a bunch of lectures on there for pharmacotherapy, um, lectures that I do for my PA students. So lecture, video lectures on there, plus copy of the PowerPoint slides, some, some other good stuff every once in a while to throw it in there and practice questions, things like that. Um, check that out. And uh, if you have any questions for Cole or myself, you can reach us at the emails in the show notes. Um, you can reach us on the phone number that is in the show notes as well. Text us on that number. Um, or you can uh, reach us on any of the social media platforms. And um, we will do our absolute best to, to respond and get back to you. And uh, if, if we don't in a timely manner, please don't take it personally. It's, we're just two of us. But, uh, yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening. And I think I said this last time too, but if you have any ideas for um, topics you want us to cover or guests that you want us to have on, anything like that, um, please let us know, as we're, especially since we're getting ready to look at the new year. Um, we need some fresh ideas so that you guys don't get completely bored with us. But anyways, let me know what you guys got. We'll see you in the next episode.